This show was brought to you by Ouch My Ego. OuchMyEgo.com Hey, LB. 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 Oh. <laughs> Hi. Oh, hey. Welcome What's up, Andrew? back to the show. Yes. You. I'm welcoming you back to the show. Because I went away, but you didn't. Yeah, but not really. You just pop in every so often to talk usually uh if i'm not mistaken about things that girls stereotypically would be more interested in than guys like <laughs> like what? dorothy uh you know wizard of oz uh-huh musicals you know musicals like yeah. the last dragon no like the earth girls are easy and the last dragon oh yeah there's some distinctly cool girl stuff in last dragon uh-huh. And you're like, oh, that's so cool. Yeah. And everybody go back and listen to those episodes. So here uh, we're going to be talking about uh, another aspect of that, I think, which is your whole boy crazy crushing on all the boys-ness. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Am I right? Uh, yeah, a little bit. A little bit, right? See? Okay. So... Now that that prefaces, uh, I think, appropriately scratching the brains of the people listening, what did we just watch? Rumblefish. You always try so hard to be like your brother, Rusty James. Hey, my brother's the coolest. Rusty James can't live up to his brother's reputation. We could have run this whole side of town if you just gave me a chance. His brother can't live it down. You know, if you're going to leave people, you have to have somewhere to go. Matt Dillon, Diane Lane. Mickey Rourke, Rumblefish, rated R. Just to, I guess, elaborate a little bit on the boy craziness of Rumblefish, I think S.E. Hinton and I both share a love for boys because she writes about boys mostly. All right, let's, let's set it up. She did this movie called Tex, right? Mm-hmm. Texas, mm-hmm. Texas, huh? No, Tex <laughs> is just a small drama. Uh, she did this book called Tex, and that was turned into a movie. That's the first movie that she she did uh, or had had her stuff adapted to. Also starring Matt Dillon and Emilio Estevez this time. And that wasn't the most dynamic story. It was just a neat little, tight little drama. And then the big one, The Outsiders. Yeah. Which is all the boys. <laughs> Literally all the boys. <sighs> all those beautiful young men. Yeah. Uh, so you and she have this thing for these wayward youths, sort of? Yeah. I mean, you grew up in Kingsport, Tennessee, mm-hmm. which isn't like where all the world's... There's some back roads there, and, and they, it gets really <laughs> creepy. Yeah, so well, what I'm saying is that you don't get like your Brad Pitts and your Chris Hemsworths from yeah. Kingsport, Tennessee type of place. <laughs> well it ain't no tulsa oklahoma tell you that right so so they did a a thing about casting all the uh, outsiders to be pretty much beautiful in various ways so i saw the outsiders for the very first time last year Uh all the way through because i'd only seen bits and pieces on television growing up in the 80s and 90s yeah tbs used to play the outsiders all the time but did you even check it out in its entirety oh totally you did yeah totally but yeah. not not the full novel which is the dvd release that we got um that was never n- on no? tv so oh okay I, I don't really know what you're talking about but okay it's called the complete novel that blu-ray is called oh. the complete novel because it has 
uh, extended scenes in it that oh, pad okay. out the relationship between the main brothers. That is oh, not in the that. version that you saw on television. Okay. So, I, yeah, I did not know that. I hadn't even seen the version that was on television to its completion. I had only seen bits and pieces. And then finally, I watched this movie, Outsiders, and it just floored me. Like, holy crap, this this writer loves these boys, loves them. It doesn't fetishize them, it doesn't, it humanizes them. This is the wrong right. side of the tracks. Boys from the wrong side of the tracks. While they were making that movie, they started working on Francis Ford Coppola and S.E. Hinton, who is a lady who abbreviated her name so that it would be more ambiguous and seem like a guy wrote this stuff. Because right, she was a teenager. She was writing these when she was 16 years old. Yeah, The Outsiders was written when she was in high school. Because also, not just the teenage thing, but as sympathetic as they are to the boys, like, no woman's going to write that sympathetically, at least to the publishers. They would think, like, what? A woman wrote this? Nah. You know, so uh, I don't, I don't, that's I don't know. I that's don't, really. I don't know if you're being exactly fair. To that's that, but like, really yeah, one I mean, way. I get what you're saying. That's but. really one part of it. The other part is that she was a kid. So and to get published back in the '60s, late '60s, you'd be a man, right? That's the theory, anyway. The madman theory, I suppose. <laughs> While they were making The Outsiders, they started putting together the script for Rumblefish. Right now, sadly, I have not read either of those stories but i hear tell you did read rumblefish <laughs> yeah I, I read rumblefish for the first time <laughs> this week actually after it had been sitting on my shelf for years no because not years for a few months because for about maybe a year okay, a friend well, of ours got it for you yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> i read the outsiders as a teenager so i saw the movie the outsiders first and i was really taken by it so i decided i wanted to read the novel of course and it was during one summer and i kind of tricked my mom into buying me the book because i said it was on our summer reading list but it wasn't <gasps> tricked aka lied yeah <laughs> yeah Aww. i mean i don't know why she wouldn't have just bought me the book anyway if i asked for it but uh, yeah. anyway <laughs> yeah. i just thought that was that was really clever of me at the time I was clever like, oh, I'll, tell her. I'll tell her that it's my summer reading <laughs> well i mean it, it was your summer reading it except it wasn't an assignment right <laughs> complicate things you i know i know but i i absolutely love the outsiders when i read it and here's another kind of funny thing about me is uh, i took a drama class in high school i took one drama class and i was terrible at drama like i was really bad i'm a bad actor but we had to do a monologue of our choosing so i performed a monologue of the scene where pony boy and johnny are talking about the the socials like the, you know how uh, the rivalry stuck up and yeah, yeah yeah so yeah. i did that and like everyone was just staring at me <laughs> <laughs> i so, have never heard this yeah wow. well i mean i mean it's not that interesting of a story i mean it is because you did <laughs> a monologue from yeah. from the outsiders <laughs> Yeah. In high school, pro that's pro probably really badly too. That's but. fine. That's the imagination goes like how badly, and then we see something as bad as like Napoleon Dynamite. You know, like, gosh, what do you think, Pony Boy? 
So anyway, anyway, let's uh, Rumblefish. Yes. Yeah, right? So they made <laughs> Rumblefish back to back with yes the rated PG. I think now it would be PG thirteen because of the burning and how sensitive everybody is, kids in peril right. stuff. But yeah. there wasn't too much language. There was just the mild language. But anyway, rated PG outsiders mm-hmm. back to back, and and outsiders is very quite normal. It's masterful filmmaking for a very normal film. Sure. But Francis Ford Coppola was like, yeah, I want to turn Rumblefish into a movie and I want to make it art house for teens. Right. (laughs) And that's what he did. Yeah. Shot it in black and white. Got Stuart Copeland to do the soundtrack. Stuart Copeland from Uh The Police, the hit rock and roll band, The Police. (laughs) Or were they a new wave band? I think they're just adult contemporary. But man, this, this soundtrack is really strange and cool. Yeah, it's it's really cool and um, it has a function to it. I mean, like I know film scores, they always have a function, right? Like, yeah. But the function of this score is really neat because, well, first of all, Stuart Copeland is a strange choice. Very. And he's a drummer, you know. Like, okay, so I'm. Well, to I'm see. sorry, he's a drummer for the Police, but he's a multi instrumentalist. Well, whatever. <laughs> um, well, uh, <coughs> actually. I should have said um, actually first. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's weird because, like, you don't normally associate drummers with writing film scores. Like, you, you know, big orchestral things or whatever is what normally you think of a film score. But uh, Coppola wanted something, like, very rhythmic. And I don't, I don't remember whose suggestion it was. I think it was, uh, you know, some hip young member of the Coppola family that was like, oh, you should get Stuart Copeland because... It was Nicolas Cage. Cool. Hey, da- <laughs> it might have been. Hey, uncle. <laughs> I have a friend who's in the police. <laughs> uh, I, I have know. a friend in the police force. His name's Stuart Copeland. He's also a musician. <laughs> That's my Nicolas Cage. It's terrible. Nah, it's bordering on George W. Bush, honestly. Well, whatever, man. I said it was terrible. <laughs> Gosh, you don't have to insult me further. No, 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 it's fine. It's fine. It's cool. So Stuart Copeland did the music for it, and it's funky. Right. You know, you know it kind of reminds me of something wild, how the score doesn't really sound the same at all. That's not what it reminds me of, but how they got David Byrne to head up the music mm-hmm. supervision on something wild, and it became a more eclectic right. score or soundtrack. But this is just Stuart Copeland doing some sort of progressive ska reggae thing um yeah he was talking about how it's i mean obviously there's a big difference between writing the music for you know a a feature film a 90 minute feature film versus like just writing you know three or four minute songs Mm -hmm. um but what he remarked upon was uh, like how it's cool that you get to use like different sounds like in the composition like um you know there, a lot of this movie takes place in a, a pool hall or, you know, a yeah. bar. So, like, you have the billiard balls, like, clacking against each other. You have, right. um, you know, maybe bar patrons, like, slamming down their beers or you know, whatever. Stuff like that. Like, those types of noises. Like, there's a bunch of busy streets in this movie or, you know, there's people out on the street and maybe there's a car horn or those types of sounds, too. Or there's a lot to do with clocks in this movie too right there is that sort of like a metronome sound yeah 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 so like he was excited to be able to do this and incorporate all these types of sounds into his score and and do it in such a way that it's like not really noticeable hmm that's interesting so that also reminds me of resident evil with marilyn manson doing the soundtrack (laughs) with another musician and he started doing sound effects within the score (laughs) and they were like stop it the sound effects are 
for the Foley guys. He's right. like, but, but no, but this is the cool part where the guitar does this thing and I also yeah. growl or something. Yeah. No. Well, no, so I, it's actually Copeland seems to have more freedom than Manson. Well, did. right. Well, I don't I don't think he was saying like the he got to incorporate the sounds like actually those sounds like the Foley into the music, but just um, using the, the score in such a way that sort of like enhances those okay. moments okay. or those tiny yeah. little things. There is a lot to do with time in this movie which in this movie like there's not like a it's not run lola run or anything no there's actually like a countdown you know it's not like that at all but you have this sense of a countdown within the movie like you that you're building up to something it's like percolating and you want to know like what's going to happen to these boys right wait listen there's a scene in particular where the cop is talking to the two brothers Mm -hmm. motorcycle boy and rusty james are lead they're standing in front of this enormous clock and i was like save the clock tower back uh-huh. to the future garbage it's much larger than that but that's interesting that you say that because it's now making sense that this clock ticking time coming to some sort of boiling point uh, and it all has to do with time is up pretty mm-hmm. much yeah uh, and that's kind of the midway point in the movie and there's this huge clock that they're just standing in front of yeah and it's just a neat set piece to me it's like just a big clock and it didn't even click about the racing towards an inevitable end yeah until just now thank you that's cool sure 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 coppola also said that he has always had a fascination with the unreliability of time so besides clocks being present many scenes in this film the cinematography has clouds moving Mm -hmm. or a lot of transitional scenes the transitional Uh scenes are very this is a very surreal movie but not in the sense of david lynch Mm -hmm. except for in the transitional scenes because there's like fades on fades on fades yeah there's a so it's like three or four different layers of fades and they're so masterfully done Mm -hmm. visually this is all black and white but it's heavy shadows yeah there's Uh, a lot of sweeping shadows and sun movement would you say this is german expressionism yeah i I don't think you would i would i think think, well i think it's it's influenced by definitely um well like i think when fritz lang came to america and started making american film noir i think maybe then but i don't think actually from germany with all the weird sets and stuff well no yeah i wouldn't say like the doorways that are at you know, <laughs> 45 degree angle or you know that kind of thing. Yeah. no there's not no. that kind of weird german expressionism but i think it's but, influenced it, but the by, shadow play yeah. the lighting so, some is so of, stark and, right yeah some of the way that the shots are set up are or at certain types of angles and not oh th- not, not touching be- beautiful but, crazy yeah. focus stuff where like yeah. Nicolas Cage is in the foreground he's not saying anything he's not the focus of the scene in fact but Rusty James is who is in the background mm-hmm. like five feet or so away just also sitting behind him and he's just sitting there and Rusty James has his lines and Nick he's part of the scene he's not set decoration he said something in a prior mm-hmm. uh, moment ago but in this shot he's just so close up to the camera and Rusty James is the focus in the background. Right. It's really interesting. Right. So uh, I would say it's influenced by expressionism, but not exactly an example of 
Yeah, yeah, okay. Thank you. So, we've been skirting around what the heck this is about. <laughs> so, what's it about and tell me who's in it? Because one of these guys is an unlikely crush for you, <laughs> but ends up being a super one. Take it away. Okay. Uh, Rumblefish is the story of two brothers. Rusty James, played by Matt Dillon, who is a uh, younger teenager. The older brother is the motorcycle boy. He, does, he has no other name. And he is played by a young Mickey Rourke pre-boxing, pre-plastic surgery, Mickey Rourke. 1983 Mickey Rourke. Yeah. This is a story about how Rusty James has to come to terms with the, like, there's no longer any gang warfare going on in this fictional city that uh, we can assume is Tulsa, Oklahoma. And part of the reason why there is no gang warfare anymore is because the motorcycle boy had sort of um, declared that there wasn't going to be any more gang warfare and everybody listened to him because he was like the most important dude in this city socially you know he was like the leader of the gangs so rusty james is coming to terms with this because he is uh, he's thoughtful yet he's dumb and it's weird it's like he's struggling to not be dumb it's yeah i've I've not seen a character portrayed like this ever before or since where he is a dumb guy who desperately understands one that he is a dumb guy Mm -hmm. two doesn't want to be a dumb guy guy three his brother is not dumb right but was foolish took himself out of the equation for a while mm-hmm. because of the foolishness you know being a gang leader and all that stuff understands you know maybe by the end of this what happens maybe the motorcycle boy really did do something really bad maybe. and the cop knows about it maybe there's a line okay so the motorcycle boy had left for a while he had gone out to california and come back yeah but they were thinking that maybe he wasn't going to come back and he just shows up one day but the cop who is against him he has like a very acute vendetta against the motorcycle boy and by proxy rusty james but more so the motorcycle boy and yeah he only shows up when the motorcycle boy shows up yeah the line that he says is well i hate him so much because you kids think he's something he's not He's no hero. Right. So there's graffiti all over the place that says the motorcycle boy reigns. Yeah. You know, like, so he's he's exalted he's by a, these He's kids. a legend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there are no gangs anymore. Right. Except there are gangs. At the very beginning of the film, Rusty James is challenged. The messenger brings him a challenge by this mm-hmm. one dude. And the messenger is the coolest Lawrence Fishburne <laughs> on film. He's... Uh, he's very hip. He's a hip. Now, Lawrence Fishburne has been cool just about in all of his movies. Yeah. But this is the coolest. He is hep. He wears not quite a zoot suit, but he's very stylish mm-hmm. and very smooth. Yeah. He's just totally cool. And he's also kind of a, a kind of word of wisdom to Rusty James at a few points. Rusty James goes to the fight. He gets his buddies who look like a gang but aren't a gang. Yeah. That's yeah, it's Nicolas Cage and that's Chris Penn mm-hmm. and his buddy Steve who is sort of like the stuffed shirt, the, the nerdy guy. Mm-hmm. He's always writing. So I'm thinking like if let's pretend that Stephen King wrote this, he would be the Stephen King character who's always writing and whatever <laughs> the story ends up being, he wrote uh, by the end of it, he have this voiceover saying, and that was my summer with the motorcycle boy and Rusty <laughs> James. And he's at a typewriter and he's an old version of Vincent Spatter. You know, you know, yeah. can I 
can I just um, yeah. I- interrupt for a second? It's interesting that you bring that up because the novel kind of has that. Oh, what? 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 Yeah, in, really? in a way. Okay, so the novel starts out in the future. and Like like lasers and robots and, <laughs> and no. like monorails? No. <laughs> what a, whatever. Ho- hover bikes? <laughs> whatever nearly this future there is for Rusty James. He is on the beach and he runs into his old friend Steve somehow. Hmm. And so they're sort of reminiscing a little bit and then it goes into the story and then at the end there's a cap of well, good to see you Steve. And Steve's all like, yeah, we should hang out. And Rusty James is like, sure. And then, like he, <laughs> but he has like no in- intention of actually hanging out with Steve. Yeah, you know, okay. their friendship in the book is is so much more flushed out than in the film. Mm. Like they rely on each other a lot. Uh, there's a lot to, to do with uh, Rusty James doesn't like being alone. Right. Well, that's brought up. Mm-hmm. In the movie, yeah, because Rusty James' mother ditches the family and heads out west, uh-huh. and he thought that maybe she was dead. His dad is played by Dennis Hopper, mm-hmm. who is an absolute drunk. Yeah, and holy crap, this was the movie in which I realized I actually quite like Dennis Hopper. And in, in spite of me not standing most of the stuff that came out of the seventies, <laughs> and probably a lot of his work in the seventies, I still like him. He's in a whole bunch of movies that I actually like yeah this is a strange part of his career because he this is pre-blue velvet and pre like river's edge you know like this was Mm -hmm. before he became like a real cult hero you know i mean like he he had been in some cult movies obviously like head and um, easy rider and all that but like yeah people weren't really thinking about him in that way so this was like kind of right before he became like a huge cult movie star right he has a really weird career dennis hopper yeah very strange yeah I mean, we talked about him in Super Mario Brothers. Mm-hmm. You want to go back and listen to that oh, right. episode. We talked about that a couple years ago. So, yeah, Dennis Hopper. I like him. Yeah, he's strange, though. In here, he's there because he, he's a terrible father. He's not a brutalist or anything. Uh-huh. He's just so neglectful and hands-off of the kids, which also feels a little bit like the Outsiders, but the Outsiders, they didn't even have parents. Mm-hmm. You they know, had a big brother. Right, right, right. Well, this is a story definitely about brotherhood. And that's one reason why Coppola was drawn to it because his relationships with his brothers, you know, yeah, he dedicated his family. Yeah, he dedicated the movie to his brother August. So it's a big deal to him. Yeah, it's a big deal to him. And uh, just a little tidbit here: there's a, a scene where Nick Cage's character Smokey, he's wearing a jacket that um, has like a uh, playing card on it on the back of it yeah on the fr- yeah. well yeah so that's his his wild deuces jacket like that was actually yeah. that was actually august coppola's jacket from when he was in what they call a social club <laughs> back back in the day so like that's also his homage to his brother nicholas's father I was going to mention that when I said they look like a gang. Yeah. And that's one of the big things where Uh he looks like he's in a gang. Wild Deuces. Deuces Wild was the name of a movie with Steve Dorff in it. Uh So uh, it brought that to mind. Yeah. Or it's just a gang movie. I think Norman Reedus was in that too. Frankie Muniz. (laughs) Anyway. Anyway. You're kind of describing their father as being sort of like a, a deadbeat dad or something yeah he is he's very hands-off he is he in the film he's definitely hands-off in the book it's not quite that you know you know their mother 
really kind of messed up their father because uh, he was a lawyer before. Oh, yeah, yeah. This this is not anywhere. It's in not in the, the film. Movie. It's not in the film. And you know, like always, I, I kind of hesitate to to always like, oh well, it's Compare. like it's like this in the book or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but really, you should also read the book because it's got these little um, character things that aren't in the film that that change it just slightly or give you more perspective. So insight. Yeah, 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 yeah. So like um his character is a little bit more present in the book and is made to to seem more like put together. I mean he is a drunk, okay, but like he only got drunk because the mother left. He's drowning his sorrows. Yeah, and then he just uh, you know, went with it after that. The way that Dennis Hopper portrays him is really interesting to me because he, he he makes him seem really kind of wiry or, you know, wily in a way too, which I didn't really imagine him in the novel to be that way. But yeah, there's definitely like this man was a respected member of society at one point. He was, but he's just let it go because he, you know, he's a drunk now. He only cares about drinking. Right. Really, I mean, he'll be so, he'll be around for his his kids and you know cut up with them a little bit sometimes. But yeah, he's not, not really. he's not he's not really being a dad to them. Yeah, they're just people, and they're sons, but they're just people. Mm-hmm. So Rusty James does go to this fight, and that's when the motorcycle boy shows up. Now we have a substantial time of Rusty James being established as a dummy lout uh-huh. uh, guy who thinks he's cooler than he actually is yeah and he has this girlfriend played by diane lane who is also in the outsiders i'm sorry i don't know her name in this um in this her name is patty right in, so in the outsiders she is cherry valance can i do my cherry yeah. valance impression really quickly yes okay let me gather myself pony boy i wasn't trying to give you charity there you go. That's my cherry balance. <laughs> yeah, she's nothing like that in this movie. No. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, she's she's as foxy as ever, though. Um, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> this, like I said, is a rated R. Maybe I didn't say it. Maybe I didn't say it at all. It's a rated R black and white art house film for teenagers. For teenagers. <laughs> so seventeen-year-olds can see it, but like, yeah. no. Like, younger can't. Um, there's no cussing in has... the book, by the way. Oh, no? No. There's tons of cussing it, in the movie. There's, like, there's like um, allusions to cussing. Like, uh, it'll be a narrative. Like, uh, you know, like, oh, you know, he said some pretty bad words. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's more eloquent than that. But um, <laughs> there's there's no actual um, cuss words Yeah, printed. but th- this movie has a bunch of F words. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I hate the term F-bomb, by the way. I feel like I'm betraying myself if I say F-bomb. F-bomb! Yeah, I, yeah so, but I've, I'm sure I've said it before on the show. So <laughs> I always sound hesitant when I say F-words because uh-huh. everybody's going to be like, why don't you just say F-bomb? Well, that's stupid. Well, when you say f bomb, it sounds like you're you're doing it in an attitude of like you're going, oh shit, oh shit, he said it. You know, like that's yeah, that's yeah. what it sounds like to me, yeah. and that's just yeah. dumb. The performative nature of yeah. slang. So this movie's mouthy, but it's also got sexy moments in it. He's, he's fantasizing about her yeah. while he's in shop class, etc. 
And she's, this is how it gets surreal at certain moments. One time he's dreaming, another time he's just fantasizing while he's in shop class. But she's on a bookshelf, or she's in another area of the shop class, and she's in her lingerie, and she's just lounging around, and he's just like, this is, this is the chick. <laughs> but, sure, she is, and she should be, but Nicolas Cage... Smokey yeah. gets crafty, and he he knows that dude has this inferiority complex to his brother. Yes. And he knows that he has this loftier idea of himself that he is an actual leader, but he can't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's, he's actually not. People go along with him, but they go along with him because he's Motorcycle Boy's brother. Right. And they feel, like, uh, obligated to him. Kind of the keep an eye out for him or something. So they they do that. There's this one part where Smokey takes him to this little party, this little shindig, and he's got some easy girls with him. And I don't know, maybe it's an orgy. <laughs> it, looks, it looks almost like it's an orgy to me. Some boobies come out and some butts start gyrating. And then word gets back to Patty about it and she dumps him. Yeah. And then later you have Smokey and patty together on a date which i'm like so he sets it up for the fall of just just to break them up yeah and to sweep in but he was also there yeah well i mean they weren't together at that time i guess (laughs) i guess all's fair in love Uh, and orgies (laughs) yes okay so there's that but Back to the motorcycle fight. When I say motorcycle fight, I think it's like one of the coolest things. So this is very musical fight, by the way. It's like very yeah, West Side yeah, Story. Yeah, it is. It's West Side Story without the music and without it being a dance. But it's so choreographed like it's a dance uh-huh. because it was choreographed by a dance choreographer. Oh. Did you know this? Was it Paula Abdul? Yes. It was. Really? No, it oh. wasn't. Come on. Don't she was do that to me. At the time. Don't do that to me. No. It, I don't remember who it was. It wasn't Bob Fosse, but it was actually <laughs> a, like a dancer who they hired for this thing to make it a, a bit more um, dynamic on screen. And this was before you had the chop cool, really cool choreography, like the Peking Opera style stuff that started working its way in after Jackie Chan got in the movies over here. So... They went the other way. They did dance choreography. Or not dance, but like that. So that's why it's very musical looking. In a good way. It's violent. It's brutal. Rusty James gets hurt. Really hurt. Mm. He gets slashed across the chest or across from his his chest down to his gut. Yeah. Yeah. And he's bleeding bad. And Motorcycle Boy had shown up. And that guy who cut him, everything was done. Everything was... There was no fight happening because Motorcycle Boy showed up. And then it's like a sucker punch except with a big piece of glass it just slashes so motorcycle boy launches his motorcycle into the guy <laughs> yeah. which is a really cool effects scene they had the motorcycle on a ramp and they had the guy on a springboard system and they timed it so that when the motorcycle hit him he w- didn't even hit him he didn't even come close but it's forced perspective so it looks like it so the motorcycle comes to a halt, which would the motorcycle hitting the guy. And the guy flips off. And it's just how they came up with that back in 1983. Practical, really sweet looking scene. Very cool. It's odd. It doesn't look necessarily like that would really happen that way. But it's really cool looking. Yeah. And then that's, that's when you get introduction of your Mickey Rourke as Motorcycle Boy. Now, he is <laughs> like... On a cool bike, but he really looks mod to me. He doesn't look like he's a rocker. 
Okay, he is styled after the author Albert. I think it's Camus. I don't know. Like I never uh, always read these words. Like, and I, I don't know how to pronounce. Yeah. Them, so, so how do you, how do you say C H A O S? It's chaos. Come on. I mean, <laughs> people say chaos. Yeah. It's chaos. No. <laughs> but anyway, Albert Camus. It's a French guy, and he wrote the book uh, The Stranger, uh, which is what we call it in America. Um, in Britain, it's called The Outsider, and in hmm. France, the French title, it's, uh, I, I'm terrible at pronouncing French, too, by the way, but it's, a uh, La Etrangar. No, that's bad. La, La Etrangar, or Etrangar, yeah. Ja, Ja. Ja, Etrangar. Ja. Ja. Yeah. that book is uh, i have not read it but it's um it's one of those books that um boys like to read like um kerouac type boys like to read it oh okay you know because it's it's about like an outsider a person who is kind of like on the outside looking in it's about being different than your peers and so coppola gave that book to mickey rourke to read for inspiration for the motorcycle boy and um they like I said, they actually styled him after the author. So that's probably why he looks a little mod, a little Europeanish. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it looks like he should be on a scooter. He does not look like he lives in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Wow, that's not, it's, it seems like maybe he was like cool already, right? And then yeah. he went to California. And got a little cooler. And ho- hooked up with the Untouchables <laughs> over in California. Maybe. The band, the Untouchables, they were in the mod scooter gang band oh. in repo man yeah, yeah. free your soul uh-huh. yeah and then came back to tulsa with that style yeah that's what i'm thinking maybe the motorcycle boy has such a I, it's hard to describe because he has this like youthful quality to him but also he's world wary or at least he is wary i think but he also has this like sense of ennui about him like he's um just very I, like i don't really know what he's doing in this town other than his family lives there like he seems right? he so, seems strangely sophisticated yet also like very quiet and subdued and simple so he's come back i don't know why he's come back but it seems like he's come back instinctually to maybe straighten up rusty james a bit because rusty james is just he's such a jerk <laughs> he's a hothead yeah he doesn't care about school yeah he gets suspended from school and instead of being like all right whatever he's like mad that he's suspended from school. Uh-huh. If he's such a rebel, I guess it's just being told no. Well, he doesn't want to go to the school that they're going to send him to. So he's getting expelled from... Well, no, in the movie, he only gets suspended. Oh, so. okay. Well, he's... Well, no, no, he... A week's suspension. He... Yeah, okay. Here's the thing. The guy says this, too. He says, you're going to Cleveland, which is another school in the area. So mm. he's being suspended for a week, but then, like, the that following monday he is to report to cleveland and not the only reason why i'm here is because my friends go here. yeah yeah he doesn't want to go to cleveland because the the guy that he fought the guy who slashed him uh biff whatever he goes to cleveland and all his friends are there so he knows that he's just gonna have to like constantly deal Mm. with this guy so that's that's why he's mad but they don't actually address that in the movie so it's I wonder why they didn't just work that into the dialogue. Yeah. Like with Steve or something. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't Inter- know. Interesting. Interesting. That would have been like a little bit more like yeah. shown some why he's so kind of erratic. He's actually yeah. just responding out of fear. Uh-huh. Interesting. This is our a Criterion disc. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful transfer. It's a beautiful movie. 
I don't know if I want to talk about the ending, but it is a tragic ending. Yeah. And I don't know why it goes that way. Though it does go that way and you're watching it, it doesn't hurt you that, like, story progression-wise, it Mm -hmm. doesn't, like, make your head spin or anything. Yeah. But just character-wise, why does it go that way? Uh, well... Why does the motorcycle boy start to behave even more erratic than Rusty James? Why does he go and break into the pet store and take the pets and let them all out? Yeah, okay. Why does he take the, the rumblefish, which comes up in a previous scene rumble fish are beta fish siamese fighting fish Mm -hmm. if you put them in a fish tank with any other fish they're going to eat or try to kill that other fish Mm -hmm. if you put them together they're going to kill each other yeah se hinton had that's a metaphor yeah, she had Rumblefish when she was growing up, so that's where she got the idea. Um, also, just really <laughs> random, uh, Rusty James is named after S.E. Hinton's cat. Huh. So, there's that. Okay. But, uh, anyway, that's... Cool. <laughs> that's, that's uh, Neither here yeah, nor there. Yeah. yeah. S.E. Hinton is a cool writer. To me, I really like her writing style because she has this... Uh, I mean, they're adolescent novels. They're young adult novels. But she has a way of uh, of treating the material in a way that is much more sophisticated than a lot of YA. But she is able to work in things like philosophy and, and whatnot with sort of disguising it. So this novel, this film, has a lot to do with existentialism, I believe. Sure, yeah. But, well, Motorcycle Boy ends up becoming the nihilist. Well, I, I don't know if I would call it nihilist, but... Yeah, he. I think so, especially how the end goes but rusty james seems to be behaving like a nihilist like the whole who cares i'll do what i want doesn't matter type of thing Mm. but well i don't think i would say the motorcycle boy is is that way like the reason why he is like stuck on these rumble fish is because he knows that they're going to kill each other if they see each other or at least fight each other and it's a metaphor for how the kids are in their town you know like but before when they were doing all the gang fighting and everything but mm, motorcycle boy wants to free the fish like he wants to put them in the river because yeah. he thinks that if they go into the river they're not gonna they have fight. all the room in yeah, the world yeah, yeah. they're free it's... to do what they want so they don't have to fight so that's not really nihilism to me but i mean i can see how maybe you would say that about rusty james and in, in a way like because he just um he's very he's... frustrated as an individual well he's heading that way i'm just we're just gonna yeah. say what what the ending is because we're talking around it uh-huh. and it's too difficult when suicide by cop i don't know if he knew that he was going to do it but he knew that he was getting the attention of the authorities by breaking into this place the alarms are going off and all Mm -hmm. this stuff so motorcycle boy i think so he has all this guilt upon him about how he's a bad example for rusty james Mm -hmm. he leaves rusty james tries to fill his shadow that goes in a bad way right when he comes back so now he has to try to stop rusty james from idolizing him from trying to be like him and how you do that is you remove yourself from that situation mm-hmm. and you kill yourself yeah he does it the most but he doesn't want to he doesn't want to actually kill himself so he suicides by cop but just see this is why i'm like that cop killed him for a reason he hates him so much yeah maybe and i don't know if this is in the book or not probably isn't but maybe motorcycle boy was responsible for some sort of death or something too much it's oh, not like know. the mayor's like we've got to get rid of this motorcycle boy <laughs> calling batman 
you know? It doesn't say anything about that, so I, I don't know, like, to the extreme of what the, the gang fighting used to be, you know, there might be some deaths involved at right. knife fights and all that. They're always saying, oh, we're gonna get killed, you know, like, right, Rusty right. James and Steve are walking home after a night out and they get mugged, and, you know, yeah. so they're always using this language of, we're gonna get killed, or he's gonna kill me, or I'm gonna kill him, you know, which, I mean, we say that, people say that, right? Oh, my mom's gonna kill me if i don't get home yeah, you yeah, know like like yeah. but your mom's not gonna kill you right <laughs> typically likely yeah um, but <laughs> not gonna work. yeah but, but maybe their language maybe they use that because hey it's that violent it's just like a part of their lives and that's why it's their vernacular yeah well no earlier on i think Smokey was saying like they're gonna think that we're a gang yeah we're there if if you don't show up right and we're just standing there they're gonna just assume that we're there to fight right and we're, we're not there to fight we're just we there just to watch, watch yeah. you uh-huh. <laughs> fight him yeah so that's interesting it's been some time since the violence was higher than that yeah coppola wrote the script with se hinton he fleshed out certain characters that didn't have any speaking lines like bartender benny who's played by tom waits in the film like had no lines in the novel but hmm. something interesting that tom waits says is he's talking about clocks ticking time is a very peculiar item you see, when you're young, you're a kid, you got time, you got nothing but time. Throw away a couple of years here, a couple of years there, it doesn't matter. The older you get, you say, Jesus, how much I got? I got 35 summers left. Think about it. You know, so like, yeah. there is this like, theme of death and reality, like making your own reality and how you cope with death and all that like throughout the film you know we didn't even talk about the surreal stuff <laughs> but you did a little but bit when they're walking and he's like we're gonna get killed you have the dude from repo man mug him uh-huh. and then he does get hit on the head really hard by the other mugger and then he has a near-death experience where mm-hmm. he goes out of body and he floats around the town yeah and he sees various goings on he sees patty and her sister sofia coppola plays her yeah domino morning for something <laughs> yeah this reminded me of a christmas carol oh like he's flying around and he's seeing either present or slightly future or something where they're mourning Uh i don't know what they're mourning so that makes me think that they know that he's dead yeah so he comes back i'm thinking i'm I'm cracking this this is the interesting part he settles back into his body the movie goes on before this point he was with motorcycle boy and motorcycle boy was trying to you know like you don't gotta be why are you doing this why 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 are you doing this why are you being this screw up why why right Mm -hmm. and after that the roles reverse after he gets hurt has a near-death experience the roles are reversed he goes after motorcycle boy and confronts him why are you doing this with the fish why are you Uh that's interesting yeah the whole thing is two different types of poeticism you know like there's Mm -hmm. rusty james before that like had sort of symbolized the obsession that boys have with fighting or violence or being tough being cool and tough like being james dean or you know being cuffed jeans and cigarettes in your sleeve sort of like dude right there's a romanticism of that because that's like what they think is cool and manly yeah tough 
and then you know motorcycle boy has this like romanticism of being i don't know i don't want to say intellectual but i mean he is like but but he has that like freedom like the open road like he takes off to california his picture is in this magazine like he's photographed by some you know famous photographer while he's in california just randomly like with his motorcycle and he's printed in this magazine and he likes to think about things or make allusions to things or, or whatever like he, he calls california a girl in heroin you know so like th- that's where i say he's sort of like kerouacian yeah yeah he's poetic you know that he's got deep thoughts how deep who knows but by the end of it he dies at the cop's hand uh-huh. and the cop then seems sympathetic to rusty james mourning him well do you think maybe the cop like thought he was doing rusty james a favor in a way like he hated the motorcycle boy so much and like what he represented to these younger kids in the area that by taking him out then these kids no longer have him to look up to and therefore they're going i know to but that's also line, kind of right? foolish it's kind of foolish to do that because you now have a legend you've now right, martyred right, right, right. you've now martyred yeah the legend, the living legend, is now a mm-hmm. dead legend who has great potential for uh, more disaster among the youth. Because the motorcycle boy still reigns, even yeah. in death. So, anyway, this is an interesting, very complicated movie. It's beautifully shot. Yeah. The surrealness is also pretty straightforward, because I don't think Francis Ford Coppola has ever been too much of a surrealist. You leave that to guys like David Lynch. (laughs) This is not a try-hard weirdness, because, as you know, when he did Bram Stoker's Dracula, he employed a lot of strange film techniques there, too, and it all works. Coppola does some really strong work, and I smack the back of the hands of so many tweets that say what did Coppola ever do just because he's like yeah Marvel movies are kind of dumb well yeah he only made two perfect movies back to back you know yeah after this movie I I don't know his career kind of did go downhill but like to say that Coppola has not made great movies come on come on the 70s and the 80s yeah right there and some of the 90s right so anyway I had you watch uh, another movie after this just because it, I, I had this vibe that yeah. reminded me of this movie but it's a John Hughes movie yeah. called Reach the Rock now I tried to express my vibe to you while watching it did you pick it up like I was feeling or maybe close to yeah a bit I mean I can understand why you would maybe want to double feature those two movies you know Rumblefish to me is very interesting in that it is an 80s teen movie but it is nothing like you no, know The Breakfast it's, Club it's or nothing like like Candles. the breakfast club like like it's so completely unlike it but it's you know like you said he was trying to make an art house movie for teenagers which i think he succeeded although i think it's a little bit too pop to be like really art house you know but it's like hmm. too too art house to be pop too it's like in that weird middle ground that doesn't really have a place um, well it also being black and white yeah doesn't feel like it's an 80s movie right you, you know and the reason why it's black and white is what because uh motorcycle boys colorblind is that why i, I think I so mean, yeah no he is that assumption no he is colorblind they talk about it yeah but there are whenever they show the rumble fish themselves those fish are in color so yeah. there's actually one shot to screw up scene in the movie is some fish on the grass and the grass is green 
and they just tried to color time it so that the grass would be more gray than green, but green uh -huh. still shows through because they didn't paint the grass or anything. They just had the grass there. Mm. So it's mm. just a color shot of the fish. It's like a, two seconds, maybe. Mm. And I was like, ah, it took me out of the movie. I hate this movie. This movie's trash. <laughs> no, you didn't. Oh, of course not. I love oh, this but, movie. <laughs> but can you explain really quickly, though, like what your vibe is with Reach the Rock? Reach the Rock. Well, one, the music's weird. Oh, it is weird. There's certain rhythmic elements of the music, which are fantastic and great and does remind me of Stuart Copeland stuff. But then it gets off into this weird jazzy guitar noodly stuff, which yeah. kind of unseats the coolness out of it. it. It makes me wonder what the tone of the scene is supposed to be. Exactly. Like, it's like, off-putting. It's off-putting. Yeah, it teeters it, you. And I think it's intended to make you uneased and not know where this is going. Yeah, maybe. But like, it, it's also very adult contemporary jazz. Sounding yeah, and I too, don't, I don't like that at all. Cool, it's not cool. It's just weird. Yeah, it's just odd. So the music thing is off-putting and strange. And the strangeness of it is cool. The off-puttingness is not. The character of the the main dude is kind of like Bender. Mm -hmm. But if Bender was influenced by both Rusty James and Motorcycle Boy in how his attitude goes at this point in his life, Bender from Breakfast Club and Ferris uh, Bueller and Ferris Bueller, yes, because he does the whole sneaking out of the jail cells because he gets a hold of keys. Yeah. He smashes some windows, which reminded me of Motorcycle Boy going crazy uh -huh. uh, in the pet store. So he smashes some windows of some stores in a bank eventually and so on. And then he gets the cops to come around. And the cop hates him, so there's a dynamic between him and the cop, just like mm -hmm. in Rumblefish. There's a lot of things that line up. There's a ticking clock also. Counts down to 7am. Mm -hmm. This happens all over one night, not a few days. But it's just this like John Hughes w was watching Rumblefish and was totally vibing or read the book and was totally vibing it but then like or just maybe he just liked it and forgot about it and it just <laughs> seeped into this script this so-called continuation of The Breakfast Club right so an abstract continuation yeah exactly Club. exactly I mean I say so-called but you're right it's it's more abstract certain characters align with the other characters in Breakfast yeah. Club yeah but I'm telling you it occurred to me after watching Rumblefish that reached the rock little herd movie so you guys get a twofer this time <laughs> you guys get a hunt down reach the rock which dare I say you won't find it it's only been yeah. released on VHS but they're both good movies I really really absolutely love Rumblefish reach the rock is a nice little bonus feature so to speak yeah so would you say that this is a strange movie uh yeah yeah I mean it, it definitely looks strange like the, the thing that makes it strange is its style like the story itself is not strange at all no presented but definitely the style yeah the out of body stuff the uh -huh. waking dream the daydreams that yeah i love this movie so everybody <laughs> rumble fish have at it yes thank you elby yeah thank you andrew for having me talk about cute boys <laughs> it's one of your favorite top yeah let's go get some water burger <laughs> all right good night everybody bye pony boy i wasn't trying to give you charity